My name is Chris, and we are here at the Fantasia Comic-Con. Uh, if I remember correctly, this is its second year, so here we are in Indio, California. Uh, we have Mr. Kevin Eastman with us. This is writer, artist, co-creator of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yes, sir. So I'm very thankful to get to spend some time with you. You have given me one of the best gifts ever, the, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That is just amazing stuff, so well, thank you. My absolute pleasure, thanks, and I always like to flip it back on you because I always say I would not have the greatest job in the universe if we did not have fans and the support we've had for... 34 years. I, know. I mean, it was our official 35th birthday, May 5th. It's like, yes. oh my goodness. It yeah. It's well, like only yesterday. <laughs> and actually, that brings me up to a perfect question. Uh, one of our fans, Eric Lincoln, he was noticing that too because uh, May of 1984 is when it happened, when it just, everything yes. went wild. So he wants to know did you, at that time, did you foresee it getting this big and riding out as long? Like, oh my goodness, no. Um, no, it was interesting because, you know, we. You know, when Peter and I were, um, when we formed Mirage Studios, which was a Mirage because it was our living room, um, and we, you know, we just wanted to fulfill a childhood dream of being like our hero, Jack Kirby. We wanted to write and draw comic books for a living. And, you know, we both individually and then together when we formed the studio, we submitted to everybody trying to find work. Um, but we were lucky in that, um, you know, we also loved the history of underground comic books, you know, the... Uh, late 60s, early 70s, self-publishers, and then guys like uh, Dave Sim, who started self-publishing in, in um, 1976, Wendy and Richard Peeney, you know, with ElfQuest and things. And so instead of collecting rejection letters, when we came up with the idea for the Turtles, we said, look, you know, we just want to do this so badly. Let's, you know, we, we did that early form of crowdfunding. We borrowed some money from family. Um, we had enough money to print 3,000 comic books. And we said, look, we're probably not going to sell a single copy, so let's just write the, exactly the kind of comic book that we would want to read, um, something that we would want to draw, and and, uh, and we figured, well, if we sell a couple hundred, that would be great. If not, we still completed our dream, and we, we did this comic book. And that's when it premiered at a very small uh, comic convention in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, May 5th, 1984. I think we'd get in the books in the printer a week before, something like that. So yeah, we, we were prepared. That was might have been our only adventure in comic books as self-publishers, and it just started selling, and we were like, holy smokes. Yeah, that must have been... And plus, like, how great a feeling to have something that was in your mind now be tangible like that, holding those that first fresh printing. Yes, it was. It's like I still remember the smell of a freshly printed book. Um, but that's, you know, it was so much fun in that, you know, I mean, I grew up in a very small town in Maine, and that's what drew me to comic books in the first place was, you know, there was besides not having anything else to do. Um, but I love the, the world of comic books because um, you could go on so many adventures. And I figured, like Jack Kirby, if you could write them and draw them, whatever you could imagine, past, present, future, whatever kind of story you wanted to tell, you could do as a comic book form. And that was, to me, that was really the, the, the magic that uh, you know um, really drew me to it. And that's where the passion really developed, started developing. So Yeah, that, yeah. that is awesome. Like To get to that ability and your art skills are fantastic. Oh, thanks. We, we've been, you know, you never stop learning. We improved a lot in the, you know, because even like the first issue, that was the, you know, I'd done short stories, four pages, six pages, eight pages, and Pete had done the same. So when we did the comic, the 40-page the turtle comic, that was the longest story either of us had ever done. Oh, wow. And so it was, you know, it's almost like on-the-job training. We got to learn how to draw better by, by doing more and more comic books. So quite a blessing. 
That's awesome. Okay, well, I want to ask you, so modern okay. times right now, so what are you geeking out about? Like, what's, what's, what's taking your attention? What are you being a major fan of? Well, I still go to the comic store, you know, a couple times a month. Um, you know, I get my, get my regular fix, and, you know, I still follow, um, you know, I have, I have some favorites. I'll buy Daredevil or Captain America or uh, Batman, White Knights. But, you know, um, watching what Tom King has is, is done with the new Mr. Miracle comics has been fantastic. Um, let me see. Gamora, uh, God Country, um, The Old Guard, um, Tokyo, Ghost. Um, trying to think what else. Uh, Moonsh- Moonshine. Did I mention Moonshine? That's Eduardo Risso, who I love from the original artist from 100 Bullets. So, and I, and I'll, so I have certain ones that I gravitate to because of the artist. I have ones I gravitate to for the characters. Um, and then some I always try to pick up, you know, independent comics. Like I started buying Ice Cream Man, um, which is like so wacky. Yeah, I've been hearing amazing <laughs> stuff about that one. It's yeah. really crazy. But um, and then you know, outside of comic books, I'm you know I've got my my Rick and Morty hat on. I remember watching the first episode when that came out, and it was like a big you know WTF. It's like, holy, what is this? <laughs> and then each each uh, episode, they just went further and further and they and it's so creative and I just I think that's what I love about it I, I sort of like, I like the art style I like the creativity and it just you know makes you know makes me laugh out loud so well and it is neat when something because you can see you know everybody gets their feet mm-hmm. but then when they finally get to a point and then it's like hell it's push boundaries yes. that's awesome because mm-hmm. I, I heard about Rick and Morty secondhand myself and it's like as you watch this you see as it grows further and further and it's so awesome yes you know yes. it definitely is yeah. um, well speaking mm-hmm. of independent books mm-hmm. I've been noticing or one of my friends was pointing out to me Stephen he was mentioning that like a lot of black and white is coming and how does that because again you started with black and white independence mm-hmm. is that kind of like like I mean you're a pioneer of that you know how does that feel? Well, you know, it, it, and now I say, you know, whether we talk about Jack Kirby or even the early underground publishers, I feel like we stand on the shoulders of giants because and even some of my first submissions um, when I was younger were to, like, um, independent publishers like Ripoff Press or Kitchen Sink Press, um, companies like that. Like Richard Corbin, a lot of his early comic books were in black and white. Um, uh, Robert Crumb, you know, Zap Comics, things like yeah. that. And then as, you know, you, as it evolved to, like, Dave Sim again, uh, Dave Sim printed Cerebus the Aardvark as a two-color cover black and white comic book. Wendy and Richard Peeney with ElfQuest. Right. Flaming Carrot was just pre-Turtles. And so it felt like, um, you know, we were lucky that the direct comic market had developed um, a, a conduit where we could we could sell to comic book stores so we could get the material out there as self-publishers, which was great. And it was relatively uh, inexpensive to print, um, which was also great. Um, but I think that, you know, people remember us um, as the black and white, what they call the black and white boom and bust because we took it to a level where when the first Turtles issue came out, it suddenly became a collector's item. You know, yeah. I remember this fan, Lawrence Klein from New York, um, him and his father went all over a New York Comic Con and paid twenty five dollars for the first issue of, of issue one of the Turtles, and we were like, we were like blown away. First, that it was a dollar fifty comic, they would hunt it down just and they would pay that much for it. Um, but I think then the collector's craze sort of kicked in. So you had you know um, adolescent radioactive black belt hamsters and mildly microwave prepubescent gophers and kung fu kangaroos and and you know people that pursued this self publishing option created a collector craze that I think took the market really high and then a lot of people, you know, the backlash was unfortunate where, you know, the, not a lot of those comics survived or became worth uh, any any real money, but it's like so they they kind of blamed us for that, but at the same time, we, you know, that's that's how we get to start. So I, I'm I'm pretty thrilled. Yeah. And, um, well, I think what was really more amazing about that, and plus, like, 
with with the second printings and stuff like that, that was definitely a very new market scheme, mm. you know, a strategy. And I think it was neat because that, that kept yours. But even then, to still continue out with the new Avengers, you didn't have to rely on, you know, like, well, here's the 12th cover. This is like we're continuing through. So I think that was really great that you guys could take advantage of that press that way. Because we felt like, you know, even in the early days, because, you know, because um, there were the early press runs were so low, a lot of people that, you know, they'd be like, the distribution system again was, you know, the first issue was more localized, New England, with a few pockets where it got out further. Uh, the second issue was jumped to fifteen thousand copies. That spread out a little further. And number three, I think, by the time we were up to about thirty thousand copies, so it was growing. So you had people that bought issue three and were like, "Well, I want issue one and two. So we, when we went back and did the reprintings, um, initially we just did them the same, um, you know, the oversized comic book, and did them that. But when we did the um, went to smaller comic size. We said we want to do a new color cover, and then each of each time we re- reprinted, we wanted to get, add value to it. So it always add a short story, a new short That's story awesome. that would be like, here's something extra special for the people that might have bought them before, and we don't want to feel them obliged to buy it again. But the people just coming on board, it was a great way to sort of, you know, it was marketing, and also we get to tell other turtle stories, which was fun. Yeah, well, and you're giving the fans more bang for their buck, which is awesome. Yes, yeah, so yeah. thanks. We love it. So, so let's see, uh, in, in modern stuff, so what, what are some things that you're, you're putting out there right now so we can tell our friends about? Sure. Well, one of the coolest things that I did recently was last year, and thanks to all the turtle fans um, that supported our Kickstarter campaign, I have a new comic book coming out with a, a friend of mine, David Avalone. He's the co-creator, and it's a project called Drawing Blood. And Drawing Blood is a comic book that's set in the universe of comics. It's set in the world of comics. It's the, the story might sound oddly familiar. It's about this guy named Shane Bookman, who he and his brother Paul created these characters called the radically rearranged Ronin Ragdolls, the three samurai cats. It took off as a huge hit. It was self-published, inspired by the Turtles. Even in Shane's universe, I exist. All of we know about comics exists. But these are the this is the fictional true story of the adventures of Shane Bookman. So he and his brother created this comic, became a worldwide success cartoon show. He did the rock star thing, got crazy, and then he's now almost forty years old, and he's trying to find his path back to that creativity. And it's um, but we wanted to take it, you know, a couple steps further in that it's got this. Spinal Tap sort of play on <laughs> inside the comic book industry. It's got uh, a level of Breaking Bad. There's there's Lithuanian gangsters and there's you know there's there's hookers and there's drugs and there's stuff and so it's like it's all so they, we call it like again fictional true story but it's this guy's search to find his creativity again and so through the Kickstarter campaign which ended we. Uh, raise enough money to do the first uh, four issues. It's a nine-issue series complete. The first four issues, plus we're recreating um, the original Ragdolls comic book number one that was done in this case. It was the 1992 publishing of the radically rearranged Ronan Ragdolls. And so we're just about finished with the art. Um, ben Bishop is the series artist, but I do part of the flashback scenes. Troy Little, who's famous for um, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, uh, Angora Napkin, um, and many other things. He's doing the Ragdolls issues over my layout in my story and so it's a sort of a great play on what we love about comic books sort of telling a, a, a really cool dark comedy sort of adventure in the world of comic books and we hope to have the first trade paperback will be out by um, before San Diego Comic Con just timing wise but it'll be early July we'll have that out available for fans to check out so oh. um, but check it out it's it's fun and I've got a few other um, other projects I'm working on with Simon Bisley and some other things but um, yeah, that's that's sort of my main focus right now. That's and I'm awesome. still doing turtles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's awesome to hear because I know like a lot of, you know, a lot of times people you know 
myself even included, where like how can I get into comics and all these types of things. So it's kind of neat because you can read these stories mm-hmm. and you know kind of pick up a little because I'm sure there's a lot of self-reflecting in there and it's like, oh man, or this or that. Um, and speaking along those lines, what would be some advice that you would give to new writers and new artists about getting into the comic book industry and, and surviving? Because that's, that's a hard part too. It is. You know, it's, it, things have changed so much. I mean, it's it's... They change a lot, but they're still the same in many ways. I mean, you know, it was the same. You know, I remember, you know, Peter and I being those guys on the outside wanting to figure out how to get in. Um, <clears throat> and we were lucky, again, because we had a direct market. We had an opportunity to distribute into and find people in comic stores. This is, you know, pre-cell phones, pre-internet, pre-everything. And these days, I think it's it's the same process where you, if you're passionate about it, you know, um, if you write, you have to write every day. If you draw, you have to draw every day. You have to work towards your craft. But you can reach out to almost a global audience of fans, you know, through the internet. I mean, whether it be sites like DeviantArt or ComicArt.org or Facebook, where you can sort of start building your audience and get your ideas out there. You can do web comics, um, so you don't actually have to, you know, it's the same sweat equity to create your vision, to create your characters. But you can sort of start putting it out there. And it might that's where you you might catch that. Um, uh, uh, Catch the fans, build your audience, build your fan base before you actually even go to actually the cost and the expense of, of printing and, and shipping the books. Because the market's the market's tough. I mean, I like I said, I still go to the comic store every you know a couple times a month at least, and the amount of material available, the amount of titles out there is vast, and sometimes it's like overwhelming. Where you know, if somebody's just coming in, well, do you want to try something new? You also, like most fans, have a budget, and so they get. You know, so twenty dollars or thirty dollars going to spend each month. They're going to buy the stuff that they've been buying. They might, if they have a little extra over, they might try something new. But it's it's hard to um, define that audience. So I think through the internet, through exposure that way, is the best way to get you know your ideas out there. And um, you know, I mentioned DeviantArt as a site. I always love DeviantArt because as a global audience, I mean, you can find you know if you're a writer and you're looking for an artist, you might meet somebody on DeviantArt sure. that you know match up ideas like Peter and I did um, or stuff. But it's just getting getting out there. Work hard, persevere, and and if you know if you're a musician, you play music every day. If you're um, a sports star, you play whether it's soccer, or baseball, you play every day. The same thing goes for writing and drawing. You have to do it like literally every day. I I still do. My I get six six to seven hours a day of drawing every day, and I you know count my lucky stars. I still get to do that for a living after all these years. That is beautiful. Well, we got some more people coming up to, to see the man himself in action, so I want to make sure our fans find a way to get in contact with you or keep following your uh, you know, websites or social media. Anything you'd like to plug? Yeah, no, just if, um, if you go to um, KevinEastmanStudios.com, it's the main website for all things you know, Kevin Eastman Studios, Team Eastman. Um, it, uh, you, can, you can find out where we're going to be signing-wise. It lists a complete convention schedule. You can see behind the scenes of anything I'm working on. Um, we have a fan club opportunity where people jo- want to join the fan club. They get special behind the scenes we have this whole section of the website which is stuff that um, is done just for them they get discounts off we sell prints we sell comic books limited editions of stuff that you you know we do a signing at a comic con they can't attend that comic con we get a certain number of limited editions you can get at the site for the fans so um, but kevinismastudios.com is where you find all things Kevin Eastman and where we're going to be and you can come and say hi to me awesome well, geek, geek out what 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 we now return you to your regularly scheduled program.